Aimé Césaire's 1956 essay, uh, Culture and Colonization, is to my mind his most important work. Now, Césaire was a poet, wrote numerous volumes of poetry, uh, wrote a number of critical essays, and was, of course, a political actor. But for me, really, the best of Césaire's work is in this 1956 essay. What I like about the essay is that it addresses in such direct and concrete terms, well, concrete in terms of specifying the kinds of evocations he has in mind, the questions and issues raised at the 1956 uh, Conference of uh, Black Writers and Artists. That gathering, as we discussed in class, was in some ways a response, or we may think of it also as a follow-up, to the Bandung Conference in uh, 1955, just the previous year. And with the Bandung Conference, uh, for all of its complexities, and there's lots of stories to tell about that, but its primary aim was really to establish the terms of solidarity across the global south between uh, colonized nations, regardless of sort of national or regional character and specific concerns. You know, what are the what are the revolutionary uh, potentials across the global south, across the colonized world? And what follows in 1956 is a shift of question where Aimé Césaire and, um, and others organized this conference in Paris in order to ask the question of race and culture. That is, instead of talking about the global south more broadly and what would a political mobilization against colonialism look like, you know, what are the terms of that solidarity? The 1956 conference was really about the simple question of what is it that makes for a unity across the black Atlantic world, right, in Africa, in the Caribbean, in the United States, and in perhaps in black Europe. But what in the Atlantic world among black people makes for a sense of unity? And that's an open question in the Congress. It's an open question in the conference in the sense that it has multiple kinds of responses. Some people are very sympathetic, some people argue for that, some people argue against it, and we'll be talking about that in, um, in another one of these process pieces. <coughs> I'm thinking in particular, George Lamming's uh, implicit criticisms of this kind of project. But Césaire, in Culture and Colonization, really takes on the, one of the biggest questions of the mid-century, certainly the guiding question of the 1956 conference, and a question that I think sits with us today, which is what is the meaning of diaspora in black diaspora? Or, maybe better, what is the meaning of black in the black diaspora? Right? What is this black? What is this Africanness? What is this thing that makes for a unity across the black Atlantic world? Well, Césaire in the essay has a number of, of responses to this. He has interesting kinds of comments about what we might talk about uh, now in terms of, of dissent, right? You know, solidarities that are forged uh, across time. Uh, that have to do with descent, right, of, of being of a certain place of origin and genealogically there's a kind of connection between people, um, at least in terms of origin points. But while origin points are in fact very important for Césaire, and I think he has a lot to say about that and a lot of nuance around origin points, 
the origin point in terms of ancestry, right, or heritage, is not uh, of any primary concern in this essay. There is also the question of, you know, solidarity that comes from being uh, uh, similarly victims of uh, white colonialism and white racism. That is, anti-blackness makes for black unity. And he takes that seriously and, you know, no doubt in both of these cases sees these as, as enormously important aspects for us to consider, but for him they're not decisive on the question of diaspora. And I think that Césaire is right about that. That the question of just bare origin, right, that genealogically you can say that all black people in the Atlantic world come from the continent of Africa, doesn't really give any kind of substance to uh, this notion of black in black diaspora. Similarly, the question of a shared oppression at the hands of white people uh, uh, fails to have real depth. I mean, it has significance, but fails to have real depth on two points, right? One is that uh, that doesn't have content in terms of what the black and black diaspora is, right? It just simply uh, hands over the formative power of unity to white violence. And I think at bottom for Césaire, that's not a sufficient way of thinking about the relationship between uh, the scattering of peoples in the Atlantic world and their unity, right? That to simply say that anti-blackness is what makes a unity is for Césaire uh, at best uh, disappointing and at worst um, you know, hands all power to unity and disunity over to white people, and there's a, a deep resistance to that. He wants to find something black in black diaspora, not something white in black, black diaspora. But also, the fact is that the experience of colonialism was very different across the Atlantic world, that African Americans have had a very different experience of white racism, of occupation, of, of forms of what we might call colonial control. Although there's a real debate, you know, are African Americans and have African Americans ever been uh, uh, colonized people or is colonialism different, right, than what anti-black racism and sort of black struggle and identity is in the U.S.? But also, uh, you know, this is the same in the Caribbean, that the Caribbean experienced colonialism very differently than Africa, right? Than Sub-Saharan Africa, which is different than North Africa, right? Central Africa, East Africa, West Africa, Southern Africa. These are all very distinct and very different kinds of experiences. You have, you know, what's now Zimbabwe or South Africa, which are settler colonies, where you have significant uh, numbers of white people who control on you know, inside the country, right, on site, control uh, the colony. But you have other countries where there are very few white people there and there's administration from afar. And so all these ways that then you can think about the differences in the way colonialism is experienced suggests to Césaire that, that that's not going to get us deep enough into what is unity or what is black in black diaspora, right, what unifies the diaspora. So his way into it, I think, is really interesting, his way into his own positive answer. And his way into it begins with an observation that one can talk about all of the differences between uh, Italy and France and Spain and the Netherlands, Belgium, um, Germany, Austria. And we can talk about all of these 
massive differences are language differences. People look different. They eat different food. They have, you know, m many kinds of variations on religious practices. Their architectures are different. Uh, their, their art histories are very different. Their literary traditions are different. So there's this massive amount of difference among these countries, you know, Italy, France, Netherlands, Germany, etc. But we say, and Césaire takes this to be legitimate, so I think it's important, you know, if, if one wants to argue against Césaire, it's, you know, is, is he really right about this or is it fair to sort of grant this? But he just says, look, it's not just uh, misspeak or falsehood to say that for all of those differences among these countries like Italy, France, Germany, Netherlands, it's still Europe. For all the differences, they are European countries. And European countries are different than African countries, are different than the indigenous Americas, that are different than Asian countries. And so that distinction between, say, Europe and France is critical for understanding Césaire's key move and really what the entire point of the Culture and Colonization essay is, which is this. Just as there is a thing called Europe that binds together the vastly different countries of France, Germany, Netherlands, Italy, etc., there is a unity, right, a thing called Africa that unifies Guinea, Martinique, the United States, Haiti, and so forth, Congo, right, just, uh, you know, Algeria, Tunisia, this idea that Africa functions like Europe in relation to all of the countries gathered under that title. And on the one hand, you can say, well, those names like Europe and Africa are geographical, just like on a map, names for continents. But that's not actually true, especially in the sense of Europe. If you were to look at a map of Europe, and I asked you, where does Europe begin and end, right? If you move from the east, um, you can't find a point on the map, just in, in terms of the sheer land mass and the lines that you know, land naturally draws for itself, you know, shorelines and, and uh, continental breaks and so forth, there is no clear distinction between Europe and non-Europe. That's important because what's the difference between Europe and non-Europe is cultural, right? That there are practices, uh, specifically the practice of Christianity, that, that mark the, the European world and the non-European world. And so there are all kinds of enigmas about like where does Europe end sort of as you move south and east, right? And where it ends or at least where people start to ask those questions about whether or not it is or is not Europe is when, it, when those countries start to take on significant Muslim populations. Once they become Muslim populations, they become less and less like Europe because Europe is an ethno-national regional practice. We call it, quote, the continent or a continent, but it isn't in any kind of map way. What it is, is a continent in terms of what Césaire calls civilization, that it's a continent in terms of civilization. 
And civilization is like this broad umbrella or tent under which you gather cultures, cultures that are played out in national context. Also inside the nation has, of course, multiple contact or multiple cultures. That's true of every country, right? But those cultures, for all of their differences, are unified by this idea of what Cesar calls a civilization, European civilization. European civilization gives a unity to all the cultural difference in Europe. And on the one hand, you may say, like, you know, that just seems fictional, right, or made up, or is this old-fashioned, is this a 19th century idea? But I think if you were to watch the rhetoric in, in Europe about uh, uh, immigrants from uh, from North Africa or from Sub-Saharan Africa or from the Middle East, you know, especially with Syrian immigrants and and uh, other immigrants from from Africa trying to cross the Mediterranean, the objection by European nationalists, that is people who want to uphold this idea of European civilization, they will say that with these people coming in who are black, who are Muslim, right, who uh, come from a different, not only racial group, um, but come from a different set of, of, of practices, that there is a threat to European civilization, right? That's part of what we mean by xenophobia, is fear of the foreigner because the foreigner contaminates or stains or threatens the unity of the civilization that gathers together, right? So German Germany has the same anxieties as France, who has the same anxieties as Italy, despite the fact that they're very different national situations. They share the same anxiety, the xenophobes do, around immigration from culturally different places because that culturally different place, when it doesn't share a civilization unity, there's this anxiety that that civilization is under threat. We see this even in the United States these days with a lot of right-wing anxiety around diversification of curricula and that what is so threatening about the diversification of our curricula, right, in K through 12 or college education, is that it changes the way people understand what binds us together. And if this thing called Western civilization is all of a sudden made into world civilization, is multiple and, and full of multiplicities, then the, the conservative anxiety is that, you know, our, we'll lose our contact with our heritage, and our heritage is our civilization. The way, you know, what the United States practices culturally is connected to what England and Germany and France practice culturally. It's linked in terms of a shared civilization. These are mythic claims, right? That is, they, they, they play on sort of big stories about the origins of places and their ultimate meaning. But those big stories about place and ultimate meaning are what make cultural life vibrant, right? So the xenophobes aren't just coming out of nowhere, right? They have, um, they're carrying the weight of, of, of unity with their claims right, of exclusion and uh, limited inclusion. So it's interesting to me that what, in the case of Europe, and either we maybe say the North Atlantic, right, thinking about the United States as part of that, uh, what becomes a very reactionary, conservative, and at times, uh, not at times, uh, always deeply xenophobic 
response of we can't have these foreigners they'll change our civilization or they'll destroy it by just simply being present and changing the demographics of our society that what does the work of hate and exclusion in the north atlantic world is for Césaire in culture and colonization what makes for unity right and bolsters and emboldens and enriches the south atlantic world or the black atlantic world so for him this question of african civilization and its relation to cultures in the black diaspora is not just simply an observation about like you know yeah, uh, uh, that there's some element of all these cultures in the Caribbean, the black US, black Latin America and Africa, there's some like, like elements of culture that are shared between them. It's a bigger story about loss. The loss that has come with the practice of enslavement and plantation slavery, where relationships to cultural origins in Africa were erased, right? Food, religion, marriage practices, languages, all banned in the plantation in order to distance enslaved people from their African uh, civilization. But they all, of course, throughout history have maintained elements of that civilization in cultural practices in, you know, for Césaire in particular, uh, the Afro-Caribbean context. Now the question is for Césaire, twofold, right? Or so next steps are twofold. One is to make this observation and identify those elements of, of cultural practice in the United States, the black Americas more broadly, identify those African features in cultural practices in order to understand the terms of unity with Africa. And I think he's implying also to start to distance those practices from their elements that come from Europe or come from the colonizer. So if we can make that distance then and isolate or, you know, focus on, maybe it's better than isolate, but focus on these African civilizational elements in black American cultural practices, then says there's like the next step is what we might call an Africanization of black Atlantic culture to revitalize it and give it new forms of life because it draws more strongly and more intentionally on African civilization for its meaning and its purpose. That's future oriented. You can only have that future orientation where you're looking to the future and you're looking and you're saying like, like let's Africanize our cultural practices. You can only do that once you've identified the traces and elements of Africa in black Atlantic cultural practices outside the continent of Africa. But even inside the continent of Africa, there's a concern about, you know, how do you unify the continent, right? It's around civilization. It's around articulating that civilization, understanding the place of cultural practices in each particular nation in relation to that civilization and not in relation to European civilization, which is colonial and alienating. So that distinction then between culture and civilization, that's the key inside in the essay the big umbrella of civilization and the multiple cultural practices that reflect or embody that civilization, right? That will operate under that umbrella or tent, right? And under there, then you can enhance and embellish and adorn cultural practices with that civilizational force, giving so much more to the possibility of black expressive life. 
that's really where Césaire is taking us. You know, he concludes the essay with a declaration, you know, let let black people stand on the world stage of history. And he means that in terms of cultural production. Let black people stand on the, on the stage of history uh, with the rest of the world's cultures and civilizations. But you can only stand on that world stage if you fully explored, investigated, embellished, and grown that sense of connection to civilization. That's what's been lost during slavery and colonialism. The key task of the 1956 essay, or the Negritude movement more broadly, as we talked about in class, is to make that kind of enhancement happen in order to further connect to that sense of civilizational force, which has the end goal of making sense of this phrase, the black diaspora or the African diaspora. A scattering of seeds from the same tree. What is that tree? We have to have words for it. When we have words for it, which is what the essay promises, we have words for that civilization, for that tree. We can then see in the seeds elements of it, cultivate them, grow them, and become more robustly Africanized. And in becoming more robustly Africanized, overcome or take steps beyond the endemic sense of colonialism, which that endemic sense is colonialism's imposition of all sorts of cultural elements, the purging of those cultural elements or the modification of them through African civilizational force is that key to resisting and moving beyond colonialism and in that way moving out of colonialism and into a more authentic sense of blackness.